Good morning. I hope you had a, a wonderful Christmas, and I hope you have a, a wonderful New Year. Um, our family had a a great Christmas. We were uh, I shared a little bit last week about our accident, and so uh, this last weekend we got a new minivan. So that's exciting. Except we got a minivan. So that's <laughs> my nice Explorer. Is now a minivan. Not sure how that's fair, but um, we're thankful. Uh, we're thankful, and we had a just a wonderful Christmas as a family on Christmas Day, just with our family, and then the next day with with Ashley's family. And so it's it's a gift to get to be with family. And I I do hope you had a a nice Christmas. And and now we've kind of turned a corner, and we're headed towards a new year. 2020, a new decade, right? And as I was preparing my sermon and just reflecting on this last year, I found myself um, reflecting on the last 10 years. 10 years. Where were you 10 years ago? Think of all that has happened this decade. For us, 10 years ago, um, we had no kids. Yeah. Our biggest worry was our dog. We were stress-free. I was going to say happy, but that makes it sound like we're not happy with kids. and They're not here, but I'm not going to say it. But what a 10 years, right? I mean, so much has happened this last 10 years for all of us. And I typically like spending some time focusing not only on the last year, but really getting a chance to focus about the year that's coming up. I I don't know what it is about my personality, but I've always um, enjoyed it. I enjoy new years. I enjoy new beginnings. I enjoy making resolutions, even if we don't keep them or I don't keep them. But I like a fresh start, and I like reflecting and thinking about where I'm going to go in the next year with personally, spiritually, with my family. Um, And so I think that's kind of my focus of what we're going to be doing this morning. And I think it makes sense for us to reflect on the new year, on the new decade, especially in light of what we've been teaching this last month, these last five messages about Christ coming to us, about Advent, about how Jesus came towards us. And when Jesus came to us as a baby, he gave us so much in him that he's our hope and our faith and our joy and our peace because he came to us. And I think it's a really natural thing to do after hearing five messages about Christ coming to us and Christ being with us as a baby and the gifts that he brings, I think it's natural to pause for a Sunday and say, if God has done all this to be with me, what am I doing to be with him? If he's done all this to come towards us, what am I doing? What's keeping me far from him? And so here's kind of my statement that I've been thinking about. If God has done all this to be with me, giving me all these transcending and deep-rooted realities in Christ, the hope, the faith, the joy, and the peace. What am I doing to be with him? 
What's keeping me from him? What habit is part of my life that is keeping me far from the God who came to be with us? And so this morning, that's the, that's the reflection. And I'm going to use that word because I, I, my encouragement for you is these next couple of days before we get into the new year to, to think and to reflect about your, how you're doing spiritually. Spiritual reflection about where you are because God's already done everything. And now the question is, how are we responding? And so this morning, I, I want to focus just on two areas of our lives. Our thoughts and our time. Our thoughts and our time. Let's pray and we'll um, get into God's word. Father, we're thankful for the last decade. I mean, it is, it is crazy to think about the last 10 years and all that's happened. And I'm grateful for how you have sustained me and worked in my life and provided so much. We all are thankful for the last 10 years for life and your faithfulness and your love and your mercy every single day. And God, now we look to a new year, to a new decade. And in light of all that we've been learning about with what you brought us when you came as a baby, God, I pray that we will have some, some time these next, this morning and these next couple of days to reflect about what we're doing to be with you. And so God, we pray that the Holy Spirit would work in our lives individually, that you would pierce through the walls that we have built, the callousness that we've, we've surrounded our hearts with, and God, that you would just speak to us by your Spirit about how we can draw near to you. And so, God, we give you our time this morning. We give you everything that happens as we study your word, and we pray that you'd be glorified. We pray it in the powerful name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thoughts and time. Thoughts and time. Here's the question that goes with, that goes with your thoughts. Okay, does your mind dwell on good things and does your thinking draw you closer to God and the people around you? If you were to entertain your thoughts and to follow them unabashedly, would they often bring you to a place closer to God or would they take you further from him? If your thoughts were transcribed, what kind of dinner reading would it be? That's a scary question. Are your thoughts induced and brought about by the Holy Spirit. God's word has so much to say about what goes on in our brain. It is frightening. And you read about the analogies of the Christian life in scripture, probably one of the more popular or most used um, metaphors for living with Jesus on a day-by-day basis is walking with Christ. And there's a passage in 2 Corinthians that I want to look at as, as we think about all of our life with Jesus is a walk with him. Look at what it says about the power of the mind. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 6. For though we walk in the flesh, okay, the, the metaphor of walking, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine powers to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge, knowledge of God. We take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is 
complete. So here's the picture that Paul is painting. Your life with Christ is a walk. It's a steady, consistent walk with Christ. And in this walk with Christ, as you walk with Christ, there is a war that is raging around you. And that Satan and your flesh and your body, they don't want you to follow Christ. And in this passage, it talks about strongholds. Okay, it talks about your mind being the stronghold. And so here's what what Paul is saying. He's saying there's a war for you, for your allegiance and your passion as you follow Christ. And the stronghold that's in this battle as you follow Christ, the most important element in your war to fight with for Christ and to be with Christ and to walk with him, the most important thing is your mind. The battle will be won or lost in your thoughts. I mean, that's what a stronghold is. It's a military term. That it's this strategic location where the one side puts all their resources to protect, to put all their people to defend this one area because they know the importance of this strategic location. And what Paul is saying is, is your mind is the stronghold for the war of your allegiance as you walk with Christ. Look at the words that Paul uses to, de- to define your mind. He says, your thoughts, your opinions, your thoughts is in verse 5. Your opinions is in verse 5. Your arguments, the way you understand things, and that this is where the war is fought. And so here's what he's saying. What you think, what you believe, what you ponder, what your mind drifts to is really important. The way you think really matters because the way you think determines how you live. And we know this. When we have a thought that doesn't honor Christ, it changes how we live and what we do. So if the thought that we struggle, the stronghold that's in our minds, let's just say it's worry. That this is the way that we think and we worry and we get anxious and it's, it's in our minds. Okay, this is a stronghold. And what happens is when, when, when the flesh and Satan have a stronghold in your mind, let's say it's, it's worry, it affects how you live your life. The stronghold determines how you walk with Christ. And so if worry is your struggle, you're not going to sleep well. You're going to go over things over and over, and you're going to overcompensate trying to take control of whatever you're worrying about. Say your, your thought that you struggle with is lust. It's a stronghold. It, it will affect your relationships. How you treat your spouse or your friends or other women or men. It's a stronghold in your mind. It's a thought. This is just how I am or this is natural or this is okay. And we think these things and we have these false thoughts and beliefs and opinions and, and our flesh have them as a stronghold in our lives, and it's changing how we live. Maybe your stronghold is bitterness. Maybe this is the way that you think, that you're just holding on to the, a bitter thought, and nobody knows it. But when, you, when that's your stronghold, your mental stronghold, bitterness and unforgiveness, 
It's going to work itself in how you treat other people. You're going to be short. You're going to be rude. You're going to be quick. Maybe your stronghold, mental stronghold is guilt. Like maybe your mind, you just feel so bad because of what you've done. And again, your mental strongholds, Paul tells us, affect how we walk with Christ. And so it is the spiritual war to get our minds because when you, whoever has our minds has our lives. And so what Paul is saying is don't be run by this, by your flesh controlling your stronghold, your mind. Don't let Satan, don't let that happen. Instead, take control of your mind. Take control of it. Look at the words. I mean, Paul is emphasizing this. Look at the different words he says about taking control of your mind and getting rid of the false thoughts and false beliefs and opinions and arguments. He says, destroy the arguments. Take captive the thoughts. Punish the disobedience. Paul is using strong, strong language to talk about getting in control of what we think about and how we think about things. Because he knows how serious this is. Take it captive. I like that, that way of just thinking about our thoughts. Take your thoughts captive. I remember hearing a, a lesson on this when I was in high school. And it's always stuck with me. The, the picture that was painted for, for me was mentally going into your mind and not letting thoughts that are disobedient to Christ to be entertained in your mind. And the, and the picture was mentally grabbing the thoughts and getting rid of them. Take every thought captive. Control it. Train your thoughts to think a certain way. Um, I, I, a couple years ago, several years ago, we had a neighbor, a young couple that... Um, got a new puppy. Um, and we lived in a townhouse and they were so excited. This beautiful young couple, we had kids all over ourselves. We were kind of a mess and they were so excited about this little puppy. And they got home and they loved this puppy. Day one, they loved this puppy. Okay, day two, they looked like a train hit, had hit them. Like, what are we doing? I'm like, hey, welcome. Welcome to what we all experience. And so this puppy was giving them a run for their money, um, eating the carpet. Well, what would happen is almost every day we'd meet at the mailbox. I'd say, well, what did Sadie do today? Like, tell me, this is great. Um, and Sadie was just destroyed the carpet um, one day. They, left, they went to work and they came home and Sadie had chewed up all the carpet. One day Sadie had decided to chew on everything that was wood, which was everything that was around her, chewed on everything, destroyed a table and a door and the floor, gnawing on the floor, like, what is this animal? And I, I remember our neighbor said, well, I have the solution. I found this, this spray on Amazon that if I spray it, it will taste bitter to the dog and, and she won't chew on things. And so she, they sprayed everything. And the next day, they said, no, it didn't work. And I remember when they finally realized that they needed to train their dog. And they realized it was going to be hard work. That they had to get up early in the morning to take Sadie out. 
that you could not leave Sadie in the kitchen all day long, that you would have to come home during work to take Sadie out. And I remember watching them as they learned how important it was to train this dog. And they would walk Sadie. And when they would walk Sadie, they would hold the leash really tight. And Sadie would have to be right next to them. They wouldn't let Sadie go ahead of them. They wouldn't let Sadie go behind them. But they forced Sadie to stand right next to them. And it was just incredible to see this little crazy puppy become a trained dog. And I remember going into their house one day as things kind of started to settle down. And I heard a bell ringing. I'm like, is it dinner time? Like, what is this? Like, why is a bell ringing? And Sadie was at the front door ringing the bell. Ding, 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 ding. I'm like, what is that dog doing? Sadie's got to go out to the bathroom. And we've taught Sadie to ring the bell. I'm like, can kids learn that? Can we do that? Like, <laughs> Sadie became this well-trained golden doodle that was beautiful and behaved and did exactly what they taught her to do. But it was hard work. And if they have just said, well, we're just going to let dogs be dogs and let her kind of figure it out herself, then it would have been a disaster. Okay, But they did the hard work of training their dog. And because of that, they got to reap the benefit of that. It's the same idea of what we do when, we, when Paul is saying, train your mind. If you do nothing, your mind will go places will harbor on thoughts that are not from God. But Paul is saying, take the thoughts captive. And and what I often hear as I work with people, with any struggle, starts in your mind. And what I often hear is this, is it's, there is no changing. No, Matt, this this is the way that I have thought. This is the way, it is natural It has been decades and decades and decades of thinking this way, of believing this way, of working this way, and there is no way that I can change. And I hear this all the time. I can't control my thoughts. I can't control what I think. I can't control what pops into my mind. And so quickly people surrender surrender to whatever thought comes into their mind. And I'm, I'm here to say, I mean, the, the focus of what I'm saying is that's not true in Christ. That's not true by the power of the Spirit. Thoughts can come into our mind, but by the power of the Spirit, we can take them captive. We can change them, and we can be obedient to Christ. So How do we do that? Just a few things, and I could talk weeks about this, but how do we control our thoughts? How are we thinking about this new year of saying, okay, I want my thought life to honor Christ? Just a a few things. First is you've got to identify the stronghold. You've got to identify the thought that is not from Christ, whether it's bitterness or unforgiveness or lust or anger or you want everyone to think you're something that you're not, or people, whatever your thought is, you've got to identify it so that you can train it. And until you realize this is the thought that is leading me further from Christ, you're not going to be able to make a change. So identify it. Pray by the Spirit for a humble moment where you can honestly reflect and say, okay, this is where my thoughts go. This is where my mind dwells when I'm not thinking about anything. This is, this is my struggle. 
And then you've got to make a decision to do something about it. Two things, very brief, on how to shape our thoughts for Christ. First is starve the bad. Second is feed the good. Starve the bad, feed the good. Now, this is strong language that I'm using. Starve the bad, feed the good. But I think this is so crucial in walking with Christ in our physical life because it starts in our mind. First is feed or starve the bad. What I mean by that is, what is the source? What is the thing? What is the circumstance that is causing you to think the way that you think? Whatever it is, maybe it's a relationship. I mean, maybe there's someone or some interaction with someone at work or a friendship that is causing your mind to go somewhere that it should not go. When I say starve the bad, I'm saying change your circumstances so that you don't have the same stimulus. Change it. Change the relationship. Now, maybe you can't. I don't know the specifics of your circumstance, but what I am saying is this. Do something radical to change the circumstance of what is coming into your mind. Watch what you look at and what you think about. When I help men who struggle with lust, this is, the, this is a very common conversation. Starve the source. Get rid of the bad. Get rid of your TV. Change. Get rid of your phone. Now, whoa, 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 get, what? Get rid of your phone. What are you talking about? Well, what Jesus said, that's what I'm talking about. What Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Now, he's not being literal. He's saying, take sin seriously, especially sin that starts in your mind. Do something drastic. And I remember walking this through with a high schooler many, many years ago who was struggled so deeply. And as we worked through this, I said, how badly are you tired of thinking this way? I'm so fed up with it. So let's do two things. Two things. Let's go home and sit down with your parents. What? Yeah, let's go home. We're going to sit down with your parents and we're going to have a conversation because I can't help you. Second thing, I said, give me your iPhone said, we're going to ask your parents to get you a flip phone. It's like, what? A flip phone? I'm in high school. I'm like, yes, a flip phone. And he did both of them. He changed the source of what was causing them to think another way, and it changed how he thought. Whatever it is that is causing you to think a certain way, you have to get rid of it. Maybe it's what you watch on the TV. Maybe it's what you look at on your phone. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a circumstance that you can avoid. Some things are going to be unavoidable. But regardless, change your situation. Then what do you do secondly? You feed the good. You replace it. There's a whole science about habits that I'm really, I'm really fascinated by the science in, in the secular world about habit forming. And here's what one of the leading neuroscientists says about changing habits in your mind or in your brain. This is what she says. When you first try to adopt a new behavior, you have to enlist your prefrontal cortex, the thinking part of your brain. You have to insert conscious effort, intention, and thought into the process. When you've performed the new routine 
enough times for connections to be made and strengthened in your brain, the behavior will require less effort as it becomes the default pattern. To change an old habit, you have to find out how to replace the routine, but still look forward to the same reward. Here's the bad news. The bad news is our habits and the way that we think literally become pathways or trails in our brain. Okay, that's the, that's the bad news. Like our habits are deeply ingrained into our minds. Okay, that's, that's unfortunate because that means habits are hard to change. Because it's like walking a path that you always walk. It's what you know and it's what you're used to. But here's the good news. All the science says you can change your habits. Even though it is a well-worn path that's in your brain, the science says you can change your habits. What's cool about that is that's what God's word has said all along. You can change your habits by the power of your spirit, by the power of the spirit. So here's practically what I'm saying. Replace whatever you're doing in your mind with something good. So maybe it's worry. We've talked a little bit about worry. Maybe you're just overcome with anxiety or worry and you wake up in the middle of the night and you just sit in bed and your mind just goes and goes and goes and you're sitting there and you're thinking about everything. That, oh, well, what if this happens? And what if that happens? And your mind just goes and you look at your coffee and it's been an hour. You've been sitting there thinking about the next day for one hour and now you can't fall asleep and you keep doing it. Okay, what I'm saying is replace that. Don't do that, but instead do something else. So determine that instead of waking up and sitting there for an hour and letting your mind go over and over and over again, instead of doing that, maybe you would determine that when you wake up in the middle of the night, the soon as you wake up and you know you're not falling back asleep, you're going to go downstairs and you're going to read God's word. Or you're going to get down on your knees and you're going to pray. Or you're going to read your other book. Whatever it is, here's the, the point is you change what you're doing. You replace it with something good. Maybe it's exercise or maybe it's watching something on TV. Whatever it is, it doesn't have to necessarily be a spiritual habit. Whatever it is that causes you not to think sinfully, that's what you're to do. And so here's, I mean, we all struggle in our minds. And I don't know how you struggle with your thoughts. I know how I struggle with my thoughts. And the default is, the default way of thinking is this just is how it is. But it's not true in the power of the Spirit. And my prayer for myself this year is that I would take captive my thoughts. How I think and that I would be obedient to Christ. What we're going to do now as we transition to the, the next one, I'm going to read a prayer. So we're going to pray together. I'm going to read this prayer, and then I'm just going to ask for you to pray for just a few minutes quietly to yourself as you reflect on what the Spirit is teaching you about your thoughts. Let's pray. Lord, please give me a mind that dwells on the good, a mind that is filled with gratitude. Lord, help me to reject the kinds of thinking that turns me away from you and away from others and inward to myself. Help me to change the very pattern of my thinking. Show me what things I may need to stop putting into my mind that corrupts my thinking. 
and show me the joy that comes from the from dwelling on the true, honorable, lovely, pure, commendable, excellent, and praiseworthy. Give me the love for you and the determination to starve the bad and to feed the good with new habits. Now, just for a few minutes, pray to yourself, pray to God about your thought life. Father, help us by your Spirit to take control of our thoughts. We need your help because they're deeply rooted pathways in our brains. But God, we know in you and in your spirit, there's power. There's the power to change how we think. And it's not easy. It is not easy and it's exhausting. But God, I pray that you would help us to know and to believe that it is worth it because you are worth it. You are worthy of the hard work it takes to change how we think. It's in your name we pray, amen. We close with just one more area that I wanna focus on today, and it's our time. Where thoughts, it's really hard to know what you're thinking. I don't know what, what you're thinking. I almost said, I don't know what I'm thinking. No, I don't really know what I'm thinking sometimes, but we can't see it. Time is something we can see. It's how we spend our time. And so here's the question. If every minute of every day of every week was logged and put into categories about how you spend your time, and it was delivered to you in writing, would you be satisfied with how your time is allotted? Are you happy and are you satisfied with how you spend the gift of every single day that you have, every single hour that God gives you? Are you satisfied? And this is what the new year is for us to reflect and say, okay, this is how I spend my time. Is this how I want to live my life? Is this how I want to walk with Christ, with my time? And for us to say, okay, no, it's not, so I'll make this change. Or yeah, I'm satisfied. But it's a good time for us to ask this question. I read a book this summer um, called How to Break Up with Your Phone. It's a really good book by Dr. David Greenfield. It's not a Christian book, um, but it's a fantastic book. And here's um, some of the things that he talked about. He's the founder of the Center for Internet and Technology Addiction. Um, he's a professor at the University of Connecticut. And so what, he's, he, what he does, or what... I'm sorry, he didn't write the book, but he wrote this test that helps you kind of evaluate your usage of your phone. How many of you have iPhones? You have an iPhone. What's the, I don't know what the other kind of, is it like a Samsung or? How many of you have a smartphone? That's probably the better, okay. I, I think it's almost everyone. Here are 15 questions he asked about the usage of your phone to determine if you have a phone time, a time and phone problem. I won't ask you to raise your hand because... It's going to get convicting really fast. Do you find yourself spending more time on your phone than you realize? Yes or no are these questions. Do you find yourself mindlessly mindlessly passing time on a regular basis by staring at your phone? Do you seem to lose track of time when you're on your phone? Do you find yourself spending more time texting or whatever than talking to people in person? Has the amount of time you spent on your cell phone increased? Do you wish you could be less involved with your phone? Do you sleep with your cell phone under your pillow or next to you or next to your bed? Do you find yourself viewing and answering texts first thing in the morning? 
Do you have your phone next to you in your car? And on and on and on he goes about all these questions about the usage of the smartphone. Um, And I won't go through them all, but he goes through the different scores based on your usage of the phone. And the number of yeses that it takes to have a really, to have some need for some help of the 15, it was eight. Okay, and what I realized and what he realized as he talks to people about their usage of the smartphone with these questions is that most people who have smartphones have an issue. They're on their phones a lot. Other statistics that he threw out was that you're on your phone 47 times a day for an average of four hours a day. So four hours every single day, on average, you're on your phone. That's 56 days in one year. 56 whole days. 80% check their phones the first thing they do in the morning. 50% check their phones in the middle of the night. There's injuries now associated with being on your phone for texting and your neck. And so as I was reading this book, okay, what I really like this book because she walked you through kind of stepping away from your phone. And there's this 30-day plan that she, she um, advocated for about taking, getting away from your phone. And one of the 30, or the end of that 30 days of doing all sorts of different things to get away from your phone, one of the last things was 24 hours of no screen time at all. TV, iPads, computers, nothing. And it was like detox. I mean, it is like, incredibly difficult as she's working through this process. And I don't know if phone usage is a time problem for you, okay? But what I'm asking is, are you spending your time the way you want to? Maybe it's not the phone. Maybe it's something else. I'm just asking, are you satisfied spiritually with how you spend your time? There's one passage that we'll close with. Ephesians 5, 15 through 17. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. One more time. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. He's saying, look carefully Do what we're doing this morning. Study, analyze, and evaluate. How am I living my life? Because he wants you to, Paul wants you to be wise and not unwise. He wants you to have the skill of being able to say, this is how Christ wants me to live. This is what's good for me spiritually. That's what wisdom is. Make the best use of your time. There's lots of good ways of using your time of fine ways of using your time. What Paul is saying is make the best use of your time, your very limited time. Make the best use. Now, why? And I I love how he does this. Why are we to make the best use of our time? Because the days are evil. Paul throws out a really general reason on why we should be really careful with our time. That could mean all sorts of things. The days are evil, well, of course they're evil, but what is the why about being, making the best use of our time that has to do with an evil day? He's saying, well, any reason you can think of when it comes to a day being evil, maybe the days are evil and it could influence you. 
Maybe the days are evil, and so you need to spend your time well. Maybe it's the days are evil, and they're not always going to be evil because Christ is coming back. He gives a really general reason on why we should make good use of our time. And I think what he's trying to do is saying there are so many reasons why you should wisely spend your time. And then he closes, understand what the will of the Lord is. What is God's will? I, I talk about this often, and I'm, I'm passionate about this, because we, we, especially at a time like this, we look ahead to the next year, the next five years, next 10 years, and we ask the question, what is God's will for my life? I mean, where am I going to go? What's, what's the job? What's the, what's the college? What's, what's my family going to be like? What is God's will? Where is he leading me? And this passage tells us God's will for you this next decade. It's not a place, by the way. It's not a place, and it's not a job. It has nothing to do with the location. God's will for your life is to spend your time wisely. Cling to Christ. Worship him. Develop habits that honor him with your time. Maybe it's reading his word. Maybe it's praying or talking to your neighbors, sharing Christ with the people around you. I don't know what that is for you. But here's what it says, is God's will that you would spend your time wisely. And so that's my prayer for you. That's my prayer for me, is that these next couple of days, we'd reflect about our time. And we'd ask God, okay, is there a habit or there's something that I can do to be used and steward my time better for you? And I pray that the Spirit would clearly lead you. If it's a reading plan, we have them. If it's pray, be organized in how you pray. We have something out there for you. Whatever it is, though, we'd be happy to help you. Let's pray as we close. Lord, please give me a life of well-spent, well-used time. Help me to be wise with how I use the gift of time that you give me every single day. Teach me to number my days. Show me the ways that my time, that I can use my time for your good in an evil world. Help me to love you more and out of that love to give you my time. Show me by the power of your spirit what I can do differently with my time. May I be obedient to your leading. Spend just another minute praying for God to speak to you about how you spend your time. Father, help us as we reflect on all of this this morning with our thoughts and with our time. And it's convicting and it's convicting for me. But at the end of the day, we say, God, it's, it's worth it all because we want to passionately pursue you and follow you and represent you because the days are evil and our time is limited. And you are worthy of our thoughts honoring you and you're worthy of, of us using our time to glorify you. So God, we pray that you would help us. Give us each of us something very specific and tangible that we can work on. Help us to be brave enough to share with the person that we came to church with today how you're working and how you're leading in our lives. And God, I pray that you would just help us to 
to draw closer to you in these things. We, we give you the year ahead and we don't know where, where you're gonna take us. We don't know what it's gonna look like, but God, we know that you want us to live for you today. So help us to do your will today. It's in your name we pray, amen.